You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I got to tell you something, people. I took the train earlier today from Philadelphia back into New Jersey, and it always happens to me that I get stuck next to two people who are so loud and they don't shut the hell up. This lady kept going on about what she ate last night, and then she gave it to her husband, then he felt sick, and it was just awful. And finally, I could not wait till I heard her say to her friend so loudly, we're off to the next stop. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a gentleman who's an awesome guitarist, uh, one of the our early members of the ba- Babies. The Babies are back, and he's uh, had a great career. My guest is Wally Stocker. How you doing, Wally? I'm doing good, Steve. How are you? I'm doing good. Now, now were they dogs in the background? Yeah, yeah, I was outside and uh, um, <laughs> they started barking at, uh, at the worst time ever. But uh, it's okay, they're gone now. Now, now, what kind of have you always been a dog owner? What kind of dogs do you have? Um, they're uh, boxes. Now, they're female boxes. Okay, now yeah. I, I heard no, they're 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 cool dogs, but I I mean. They're uh, beautiful dogs, and uh, so that's good. So you've had your dogs for a while. So I got to ask you, you're, you're a gentleman who's been playing guitar forever. When did you first pick up the guitar? Oh, I guess I must have been around maybe nine or ten. Um, you know, I, I, was, I always loved music, and uh, uh, actually uh, one of my favorites back then was The Shadows. Um, Cliff Richards' uh, band uh, with um, Hank, Hank B. Marvin as the guitar player, and I used to love their music and their instrumentals. And I kind of, I guess, I was inspired from that. And uh, um, actually, my dad had an old Spanish guitar that was sitting on top of his wardrobe there, and. Um, he would never play it, and I used to ask him, could I get it down and, <laughs> you know, m- mess with it. And at first he didn't really want to, you know, bring it down, but then he finally gave in, and I started to, um, you know, I had to dust it off and mess around with it, and uh, it kind of started from there. It wasn't a particularly good guitar to try and learn on, you know. It was like just an old flamenco guitar but um so that was like my very first guitar and then i went out and um i bought a chord book so i could start learning the fingering for the chords and uh, it kind of went from there um i never went for guitar lessons i was just self-taught um so once i learn how to tune the guitar properly and figure out some of the simpler chords, you know, to begin with. And, um, it kind of started from there, really. Now, now, as a musician, I talk to a lot of them that, you know, that haven't taken lessons. Do you see any pros to, if you had taken guitar lessons, or would it help you, or would it have made you think to be more not as creative? I mean, what do you think you took away from not taking lessons? Um, well, I, I don't know, really. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's some great guitar teachers around, but they they tend to show you um, 
I think not having lessons helped me sort of develop my own sort of style, if you like, and uh, um, as opposed to just learning it from the book, you know, and uh, and just you know uh, the theory of music, because I, you know, I don't read or write music either. I, I can read the uh, sheets, but um, so I get I kind of missed out on that a little bit, and. Uh, you know, um, later years, I wished I had studied it a little more as far as reading and writing, but um, I, you know, I have to keep all my ideas in in my head, really. Um, but um, no, I, I, you know, I was never, once I, I would sit down and, and play some records, you know, my favorite records, and uh, try and figure out what they were playing on the track, and try and figure it out on the fretboard and um, just learn by ear, really. Now, you're, you're playing guitar. Now, when do you start feeling that you're getting good? I mean, you know, I'm sure, you know, in the beginning, it's it's probably a hard role for anybody, you know, because I, I can't play any instruments. I have no musical inclination at all, and I admire people that can. But when did you feel you were starting to get good and thought that, you know what, this is something I can do with my life? Um, I guess when I was, um, I guess around 15, 16 years old, um, um, a, a, a friend of mine that, um, that I used to go to school with, um, he turned out, he loved playing the drums and, um, uh, he kind of invited me up to his house one night and said, know, why don't you come up and and it kind of went from there as far as playing, you know, actually playing with other musicians um, uh, and then before long um, you know, we found ourselves out playing pubs and clubs and doing, not doing original material but, you know, doing uh, you know, big songs at, at back in that time you know, Deep Purple songs and whatever um, uh, so you know that's when I started to think oh maybe I can make something of this because when I was younger I used to play um, a lot of soccer and um, you know soccer is like the main sport I really and, um, and I, I was actually quite good at it and uh, at that time I really thought I may have a chance of being a professional soccer player. Um, and then music came along and soccer had to take a back seat, you know. Now, now, what was the music, when you, after you were playing covers and stuff like that, when did you start playing original music to get recognized and what was the scene like at that time? Um, well, there was, there was a lot of good, um, good bands around London at that time and um, you know they had their identity with their sound and the style of their songs you know and their material and um, so you know there was there was a fair bit of competition going on but you know all the bands kind of knew each other and uh, um, you know 
know, it it became kind of like a almost like a family type of thing where you keep bumping into other bands and hanging out with them. And um, but as far as originals, that really kind of came in. I'd audition with other bands and. Uh, um, and then I formed another band with a singer. We were we were starting to write original music, and uh, in fact, you know, we decided that's all we really wanted to do. We didn't want to do other people's songs anymore, so we concentrate more on, you know, our own original music. So, but that that was like a learning experience. You know, uh, the more songs we were writing, the better they were they were getting. And um, and so it kind of went from there. But really, uh, the thing that opened up the door for me really was the babies, you know, because that was all original material too. Then. Now, now, how did the babies get formed? What was your and how how did you join the group? What happened with them? Well, um, as far as my situation. Um, I used to get the Melody Maker every week. It's um, like a music newspaper almost. And um, in the back, they, they would have the classifieds and bands looking for guitar players or uh, singers looking for bands and musical equipment for sale. So, so I would look through that every week. And, um, you know, there was some sort of big ads for bigger bands and um, and then there was you know smaller ones and I I just see this little advert and it, and it just said uh, guitar player wanted for a rock band and it had a phone number and it had the word wages next to it <laughs> and I thought oh and, and you get paid for this too <laughs> so I called them up and um, they said, yeah, we're, um, we're scheduled you in. Uh, I remember it being a Friday evening at five o'clock. They wanted me over there, but I was living in Putney, which is like Southwest London. And they were over in the Southeast London, right there by, um, the River Thames, uh, right close to, um, Tower Bridge. And they were auditioning and rehearsing in an old tea warehouse and so they gave me the address and I, I drove all the way from Putney to Chow Bridge right across London on a Friday evening I remember it raining and cold and of course you know traveling through London anytime is a nightmare as far as traffic and anyway I got there for five and um rang the doorbell and uh, John Waite opened the door. I, I didn't even know he was John Waite at the time, you know. He invited me in and uh, that's when I first met Tony and John Waite. Uh, Michael Corby wasn't there. But there was another guy, Matt Irvin, he was playing bass. And uh, uh, so um, and they had um Pink Floyd had used to keep all their uh, high watts down there, their high watt stacks, and um, 
so these guys, uh, you know, John and Tony, they said, you, you know, you can plug into the high watt stack if you like. Um, so and I had my Les Paul with me, and so, um, and then John said to me, well, you know, we got because they had already made a couple of little demos you know, acetates back then, and uh, they said, well, let's show you, you know, the changes of songs, and uh, see how you get on with them, and as soon as we started playing these songs, um, I realized that, you know, we all sort of had a lot in common, and I felt really comfortable with the music, and felt like we were all on the same page, you know, and I think we... We played maybe two or three of their originals, maybe some blues. And, uh, we may have even made something up that afternoon or that evening. And they said, okay, well, uh, you're the last guy that we're seeing this week. And I think they had been at it for like seven or eight days in a row. And because it was a Friday evening, they said, you know, we're, we're going to take the weekend off. And, so, um, so I left and drove all the way back to Putney, and uh, and I, as I put the key in the front door, I could hear the phone ringing, you know, the landline ringing, and so I went running up the stairs to grab it before it stopped ringing because I didn't even have an answering machine back in those days, and. Uh, I picked it up and I heard this voice saying, is that Wally? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, oh, it's John Way. I said, oh, hi, you know. And uh, he said, well, we've, we've had a discussion and the job is yours if you want it. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, I do want it. You can count me in. And that's where it all started for me. Now, so you, you're the you're in the babies now. Did they have the name the babies yet? I heard that you know you guys did it to piss off critics, or you came up with a name because they weren't looking for rock bands. But did they have the band yet? The name yet? It, they did actually. Yeah, um, I, I think it was the manager that you know the the story that Tony told me was um, you know that the they were always going to the manager and whining, you know, complaining about something. And <laughs> he said to he said to them, "Well, listen to you." He said, "You're like a, like you're, you're like babies. Don't keep coming to me. You're like babies." And I think that's where it kind of all started. And I must admit, when they told me the name, I thought, "Oh wow!" <laughs> but you know, after all this time. It, can't really change it, you know. It's like the Rolling Stones suddenly changing their name. You know? <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah. you you join the Babies and you're in it. John calls you. So now, what's your group's? What's the Babies' course of action? What's your role? To what's the way you get to getting getting a record deal? Well, uh, once we started rehearsing as a band, um, then we had. Um, some photos taken which the manager was taking around and uh, along with those first early demos and which I, I was kind of a bit upset about that because I, I wasn't on the early demos and you know I kept saying to the guys you know 
um, once we get a few new songs together, um, it'd be nice if we could go in and cut them as demos, you know, with me playing on it. And, and that's really what we did. Um, once we, um, in fact, the, the very first album that we made, those, those, all those songs were the, you know, the very first songs that we wrote as a band. And um, uh, I remember us going into Island Studios up in Basin Street, which is up in London, and cutting a couple of tracks in there. And then we went into, I think it was, um, oh, it was on Oxford Street. Uh, anyway, um, and we cut three songs in there too. And then... Um, so the manager now has photographs of the band and the new demos, and he's taking those around, you know, to different record companies. Meanwhile, we're still putting together some new songs, and uh, and uh, and 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 then uh, the manager actually decided. He said, uh, you know, the record companies are interested, but there are so many people submitting demo tapes and you know, you know he said um, how about if we put together a, a little videotape of us sort of just lip syncing to these three uh, demo songs you know he had a con he, he, he was uh, good friends with a guy called Mike Mansfield who had a um, a TV show like a Top of the Pops type of show. It was called Supersonic, and he was the producer. And uh, so he was approached, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'd like to do that." So we ended up in a, in a BBC news studio. It was a tiny little room because you've only got like the newscaster and one camera <laughs> in there, you know, and. Uh, and we, we, you know, set up a gear and uh, Mike, uh, Mike came down and um, so we put, um, you know, the three audio demos um, together with, you know, um, with video for those three songs. And, and of course, this is, you know, long before MTV and, you know, people weren't really making you know, videos to try and get a record deal. So um, I think we were certainly one of the first to try and do that. And then, you know, with this uh, visual uh, video demo of these three songs, then Adrian, the manager, could, um, you know, he could then go back to these record companies that were somewhat interested and say, here, you know, have a look at this. Here's the band. This is what they look like. Here's their songs. And and with that, um, we suddenly found that we now had four record companies that were, you know, fighting over us. And so we could finally just sort of sit back and see who came up with the best deal. And uh, it was Christmas that... Um, you know, made us the best offer and a very, very good deal. Um, 
just just from seeing this video, you know. I mean, they they thought it was kind of unique. And now, so, you did the video, as you said, and that was shot at the BBC. Now, Crystal assigned you. Now, did you guys record your first album in Canada? And if so, why? Yes, it was recorded up in Toronto, Canada. Um, and... Um, it was actually the record company that um, they they were looking for a producer for us, and because it was our first record, um, they had, you know, and uh, I guess um, Bob Ezra was producer on that. Um, he he had been doing some Pink Floyd stuff, and he. Had, uh, was working with Kiss and uh, um, oh, and Alice Cooper too, and so it was really a choice of the record company um, as far as going up to Canada. Um, we didn't care where we went really, as long as we could get a record made, you know. Now you get the record made. Now, how does it sell? Does it do good? And do you, are you are you happy with? the final product because it is your first album yeah, uh, yeah we, we were happy with it and you know um, but, and Christmas went all out as far as trying to promote it and uh, the very first single from it if you've got the time and they actually put out like a little EP uh, at if you've got the time and uh, I think Laura and Diane ran on it too from that first album. Um, and uh, no, we, we were happy with it. Um, you know, we were still wet behind the ears as far as recording as a band. You know, so, um, you know but Bob, Bob was really good with us and, you know, we learned a lot from him and... Uh, um, no, we were happy with it, and even more happy when Christmas, you know, um, decided that they were going to go all out to promote it, and um, they were even advertising on double-decker London buses and the London Underground. Um, it was strange to see a bus go by without picture on it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, did they put you on tour then? Did you start touring in the U.S. or or did you hit the road? Or when did you guys start hitting the road to promote it? Um, yeah, well, we did we did about a handful of warm up gigs in London, just you know, just to get the band kind of tight as far as uh, live work. Um, probably weren't even billed as the babies, you know, just billed as the support act, you know. And I remember doing a couple of colleges. Um, yeah, so, um, and then, um, then Christmas wanted to come over to America because we signed with the UK division, but, uh, the division in California, uh, of Christmas, um, they wanted us in America. And so we came we came over but we did we weren't doing any live gigs but we were doing like um, TV shows and um, 
and radio stations in all the major markets to promote this first record. Um, and in fact, uh, I remember the first TV show we did was Dick Clark's American Bandstand. And, uh, but we were hitting all the major markets and, you know, back then you could actually go in the, in the studio and talk with the DJ and he would play, you know, selected cuts and maybe take a few phone calls and, um, and it, but it was more of a promotional tour than an actual playing live tour. And uh, when we were all done with that, um, we went back to the UK. And um, then the president of um, the California division, Terry Ellis, um, he um, suggested that, that if he could do a lot more with us if we were situated in the USA, um, mainly, you know, California. And so he threw out this idea and said, you know, if I, I'll, I can make sure, you know, that, that everything is set up for you. And, but if, if you guys want to move to California out of London, and um, he said, you know, we can do a lot more with you. We can't have you going backwards and forwards from LA to London all the time. Um, so then, you know, we had to sit around as a band and discuss it because it's, you know, it, that's a pretty adventurous move, you know, we were still pretty young and uh, and we just, we decided, you know, why not? Let's give it a shot, you know, it, we'll never know if we don't do it and we may end up kicking ourselves, you know. Um, so that was it. Everybody sold everything that they had. And, um, everybody said goodbye to family members and off we went, you know. Next yeah. thing I know, I'm li living in West Hollywood. <laughs> what, what was your, what was your, because I lived in L.A. for uh, 18 years. I just moved back to New Jersey. But what was your take of L.A.? Coming from, you know, as you said, it was rainy when you're driving across to audition for the babies. And all of a sudden you moved to L.A., West Hollywood's, lots of stuff's going on. The weather's great. You must have loved it, being a musician in West Hollywood. How great was that? Oh, it was fantastic. It was, it's, it was such a change of pace, um, you know, uh, when you when you're brought up in London, you know, you just get used to the weather. And, you know, you're lucky if the sun comes out at all someday. Um, yeah, no, that, you know, before I ever went to the states, you know, the only really thing I knew about it was, um, you know, from films, American films, you know, in either you know California or maybe New York or Chicago. Um, so, but until we came over the first time for the promotional tour, that was that was the first time I really got a taste of, of America, and it, especially going to those different metropolitan cities. And, um, but, you know, um, but I remember California being, like, quite, you know, paradise really and so when we were offered to live in california um couldn't pass that up you know now you come back you record your second album you're in la 
you're you know they can work with you better. How did your second album do? Um, the second album was um, probably our best-selling record. That and the third one. Um, uh, but we enjoyed. That's still my favorite record, the Broken Heart album, which is this, the second record. And we did that with Ron Neverson. Now, we why? Didn't do it in a, huh? Why is it your favorite album? I think just, I think by then, you know, we we were much tighter as a band, and I think we were writing better songs, and um, and the way we recorded that second record, we didn't go in a sort of conventional studio. We took the record plant mobile studio, which is like a twenty-four track in the back of a truck. And uh, uh, there was this house out in Hidden Valley Ranch, and I think it was up for sale. So that, you know, but it had lots of different rooms, and so we could set up. In fact, we did. We set the drums up in the glass foyer at the front of the house, and all the amplifiers could go in different bedrooms and be totally isolated, you know, so there would really be no leakage as far as, you know, when you're all in the same studio, all in the same room, you have to baffle things off and then there's always leakage, but doing it that way with the truck outside, and, um, plus we were really happy with the sounds that Ron Nelson was getting for us, you know, it, it really sort of captured what we we're looking for as far as sounding like you know a, a, the babies really I think that's where we really developed our sound um, and it was just fun to make we you know we'd have to drive out there every day and then come home at night and go back but that that was fine you know um, it was it was really quite a wonderful way to make a record you know you, as opposed to just being shut into a studio, um, like like we were for the you know the first one, all those miles from home. But um, yeah, no. Uh, but the second one had um, his knit time on it, and um, which Ron had brought in as a little demo, and we just we babyfied that one um, between us and Ron. The demo was very slow. It was on piano and acoustic guitar. I think it was more, more of a sort of rhythm and blues song. But um, no, there was some good songs on that and a great sounding record. We were really thrilled with the production on that. So you're thrilled with the production of it. Now you've recorded a third album, and after the third album, there's a little bit of a uh, lineup shakeup. What happened with that? What? 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 Why did your the lineup change? Um, yeah, the lineup changed during the making of the Head First album, the third album. Um, we were all we were all living in West Hollywood, and uh, again we used uh, the record plant mo mobile and pulpit just north. There was a mansion up there that was um, kind of deserted. 
uh, Chris has found that for us. And um, so Ron and his his engineers in the truck, that, that was all parked up at the mansion. But, um, yeah, so during, you know, we were using the mansion really uh, just to get the backing tracks down, you know, so we could have that isolation again between the instruments. And... Um, well, it was during the making of that, um, you know, Michael Corby, you know, would go missing for days and would show up while recording sessions. And I, you know, I know that Ron Neverson was getting a bit, you know, getting a bit fed up with that and um, everybody else was showing up on time and working hard and Michael wasn't and, you know, I would, I would actually go around to see him. And, um, I'd say to him, come on, Michael, you know, you've got to come down there. And he would say, oh, but Neverson doesn't want me there. And John Wake doesn't want me there. And I would say, but Tony and I want you there. You know, you're part of this. You're part of the gang. You know, here we are on our third record now. You know, why are you doing this? You know, you're, you're making it tough on yourself. You don't need to do that. And, say oh maybe tomorrow you know I think I tried that for maybe two weeks and in the end I said listen Michael I, I can't do this anymore if you don't want to come down then um, you know you're probably gonna you've upset everybody at the record company anyway at this point and uh, I said so you know don't don't be surprised if uh, you know um they want you up there, and uh, so, and that's really basically what happened. But you know, because they were, uh, they were upset with him, and uh, I think um, I, I remember um, our management uh, uh, saying, you know, calling us to the office, and. Uh, um, and because uh, the record company had told the management that, um, you know, um, basically, if, you know, if you, if you don't basically get rid of Michael, then the label is considering just dropping the band altogether. And, which was, you know, kind of unfair to John and Tony and myself because they've been working so hard and couldn't just throw it all away just to be on Michael's side, you know, because he was the one that kind of started the problem in the first place. And um, and that was the day when we had to meet at the manager's office and he, he was told that, um, you know, he was told, um, Elliot, our manager, um, that, um, you know, the situation and, um, so he, yeah, he was like, uh, now, um, now was it hard finding two to a replacement for him? Was it because you guys were, you were from the beginning, you know, it's like you, as you said, you were going up there talking to him for two weeks. Was it hard to get a replacement for him? And how did you guys feel about the replacement when they joined? Um, well, you know, we were still in kind of only probably two-thirds of the way through with that album. So, we, 
between Joan and Tony and myself, we just finished it as a three-piece. You know, maybe brought in some other musicians if we needed something special. But um, So when that was all done and mixed and released by Christmas, then it was time to go out and, and tour it and promote it. And we, we couldn't go out as a three-piece, so we, we had to replace Michael with, you know, with another keyboard player. You know, Michael could play keyboards and guitar, so we needed to find a keyboard player that could play guitar too. And so we just started holding auditions for keyboard players, and people were lining up around the block, you know, when they found out, oh, the babies are looking for a keyboard player, I've got to get down there. And um, so while we're auditioning, we see a lot of keyboard players. Um, you know, John Way in the original lineup would, you know, sing and play bass. And he said, well, how about if we're looking for a keyboard player, why don't we look for a bass player too? He said, and then I, I won't have to play bass and I can just concentrate on just singing then. So um, that really wasn't going to be the plan, but uh, we decided, well, you know, if we're in the middle of auditions, then uh, why not? So we put the word out on the street, and, um, and then we had keyboard players and bass players coming down, and uh, eventually we chose Jonathan Kane on keyboards and Ricky Phillips on, on bass guitar. Now, so you, you're now you're a five-piece group, and you're up going on the road, and you're making music. Now your career's going good, and you know you you had you know after had uh, after that album you had two more. What happened? Why did you guys break up? Was it because you were? I remember you know being in in, in New Jersey and hearing your songs on the radio, and me and my friends all all loved it. You know it was when we were in a uh, high school, and we really dug it. What happened? I mean, is it something where you guys just weren't getting the acclaim you needed, and you were getting pissed about it, or how? What happened for the how you guys ended up? dissolving and breaking up? Well, um, you know, once Jonathan and Ricky entered the scene, you know, now we're a five-piece band. We originally came over as just a four-piece, but all British guys, and now we got two Americans on board who also sang and, and wrote, which was one of the, you know, appealing things about them. It, there's no, you know, um, there's always room for other songwriters within the band, you know, but because, but also they had a slightly different style to their, their playing. So the, the original sound and style of the, um, the original babies um, was slightly going a, a, maybe a little more, um, uh, maybe softer is a, is a good word. But, um, and then when we made the fourth, well, we toured with the head first record, but they were just hired guns, those two, for that tour. And then when it was time to go back and do a fourth album, which was a completely different producer, you know, in Keith Olsen, he was working at Sound City um, in the Valley. And, um, 
Um, so when it came um, to the fourth album after the tour, um, that's when we decided to make Ricky and Jonathan, you know, full-time members of the band. So now we were kind of officially a five-piece band now. Um, and the fourth and the fifth record were made with Keith Olsen and Ricky and Jonathan. And they were writing songs for, you know, the records. And, and then but we were going out on some great tours. Um, we went out with, oh, Ario and uh, Alice Cooper. We would play with Cheap Trick. Um, we were on the Journey Tour for about 15 weeks. And, uh, um, you know, doing festivals. And we played with ACDC. And, uh, um, but all, all the tours we went out, know, they, they were really good tours for us. You know, um, opening up for, you know, Alice or Journey in a basketball arena every other night, you know. And it was um, it was doing us a lot of good, you know. Um, and getting to play to a lot of people as opposed to just doing maybe a little theatre tour, and, you know. Um, and then um, we were out on the Journey tour uh, promoting uh, the fifth record on the edge. And uh, we all knew that Greg Rowley, um, Journey's keyboard player, was going to be leaving at the end of that tour. And so they had their eye on our keyboard player, Jonathan, right from the very start. And there he was up there playing, you know, every night. They, they didn't even have to audition him because all they had to do was... Uh, you know, so he, he became friends with them, and I thought, man, you know, I, I see something, you know, in the future that's not looking too good here. And um, and then at the end of that tour, uh, the Journey tour, um, Christmas had added some extra dates for us, so we were going to just stay out on the road and continue promoting On The Edge. Um, and I think we had a, at least a couple of weeks lined up playing smaller venues, you know, um, the odd club here and there, I guess. Um, so, um, and then we're out doing our own shows, headlining our own shows. And that's when John Waite um, tripped up, up on stage at his foot caught in some cables or something and then went down next thing I know I'm looking down he's laying on his back and he's saying to me I can't get up and he, and he busted his, his knee uh, I think the cartilage in his knee and he was rolling around in agony that was the end of that show for that night <laughs> um, and then uh, when I went back the paramedics were there and he was, he was total agony and off he went and then he showed up the next morning and he's on crutches and we played one more show with him on crutches and, and that's when he said to me, you know, he said, my knee is killing me. And he said, I, plus, I, I don't like being on stage with crutches, you know. And we, um, 
we ended up, um, well, we thought we were just postponing uh, the gigs that were coming up, but um, of course they had to be cancelled. And so we all came back to LA and um, I got a phone call from John, John Way, and he said, you know, he said, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go back to the UK or if I'm going to go to New York, but I got to get my knee fixed. And he said, and uh, he said, I'm, I'm not sure if I can do this anymore, this band thing. Um, and I said, well, you know, why, why don't you give it some time and get your knee fixed and then, then we can talk about it. And he, he said to me, well, no, I've basically made up my mind. Because um, him and I used to talk about him doing a, having a solo career. Uh, you know, we go out, we drink, and we talk about it. I would say to him, well, you know, Christmas have been good to us, and maybe if you approach them on that kind of level where you say, well, just give me a one album deal, and and we can go from there. You know, and I said, I. I I wouldn't be surprised if they wouldn't go for that. But, you know, we don't have to break up the babies for you to make a solo album, you know. Um, That way you'd have, you know, you'd have two projects going. I said, I told him that, you know, if he wanted me to help him with his solo record, I could, I would. And I said, oh, if you want to get your own band and different musicians, that's fine. I said, but you know, go and make your own record and then when you're done with that, then we can continue on with the babies. And, um, and but he said, no, he, he just wanted to call it a day. So it was like, oh dear, you know. And then then I get a call from Jonathan, a keyboard player, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm up in San Francisco and I've been rehearsing with Journey. He said, so I won't be coming back. Um, so that was it. Within the space of a week, we lost the keyboard player and the and main singer from the guy that's there from day one. Uh, so it really kind of all fell apart at that point. Um, and then Tony was offered... Uh, Rod... Rod Stewart called in and wanted Tony to come down and do some drum sessions for Rod's new album. So Tony was back in the studio with Rod. And then Ricky, um, he he was working uh, with the Motels and Belinda Carlisle. Um, so all those guys, you know, um, well, Jonathan, Tony and Ricky, they were, they were sort of fell back on their feet and John's off getting his knee fixed and now I'm I have nowhere to do nowhere to go nothing to do I'm bouncing off the walls thinking you know wow after all this time man you know I, I don't have a band anymore you know <laughs> it was um, it was quite um quite a shock really after all that time to suddenly find oh wow there goes that band, you know. So you, the band ends, you have nothing to do, but now, you know, I know you play with some other people, you play with Air Supply for a little bit, you play with Rod Stewart for a little bit, but in 2013, the babies get back together. How did that happen? What what 
did you was it your idea was it uh tony's idea how did that all happen um well i had i had moved away from la i was living down in florida um, and tony and i would stay in contact but you know um because yeah i i played in the rod stewart group and tony was in that too um and um I had also, um, yeah, I'd been in um, air supply by then too. And, uh, anyway, I, I ended up moving to Florida. Tony stayed with Rod, and then Tony was producing a guy called Jimmy Barnes in Australia. Did some work with Keith Urban, so he was busy. Um, and then he had his own studio in uh, Chatsworth here in. California. So him and I would, you know, talk, um, not every week, but, you know, maybe twice a month, you know, and uh, he would always, uh, him and I would try and get a hold of John Wade just to see if we could uh, maybe, you know, offer him an, another show about it, and maybe after a few years, you know, he may have sort of reconsidered, and but he, John always declined it. Now I'm, I'm happy with my solo thing now. I don't want to get involved in the politics of the band anymore. So Tony and I would continue on doing what what we were doing, and then um, then we try him again. You know, try John again, and he would say no. So um, and then um, I guess it was two. 2012, Tony called me up and said, um, listen, uh, obviously Jonathan Kane's not coming back, he's not leaving Journey to come back, and Ricky's not leaving Sticks to come back, uh, and, you know, John Wade doesn't want to do it anymore, he said, what do you, what do you think if we look for a singer and, and put it all back together again, he said, you know, um, he said, you know, if you're not interested, uh, he said, I'm, I'm not going to do it without you. Um, he said, but if you, if you are, maybe we can start looking for a singer. And I said, well, um, well no, I'm, I'm interested. You know, I'm, I'm 100% committed if we can find the right singer. Because without that, um, you know, it, it really wasn't in the, you know, um, take off really, you know, because uh, it's, you know, um, it's tough trying to replace an original singer, especially somebody like John Wayne, who, you know, I, I love his, I love his voice. I think he's a terrific singer. So there's some big shoes to fill, you know. And so I said, well, uh, you know, obviously we're so far apart right now. And he said, well, he said I'm going to start holding auditions for singers in, in your studio. And, and he said, I'm going to record um, the singers and I'm going to videotape them or you know, video them. And he said, I'll, I'll just send it down to you. you can have a look, you know. He said, I won't, I won't send everybody because apparently he had guys lining up around right. the clock. <laughs> um, 
yeah, and so we sort of kind of boiled it down to maybe a handful of guys, and um, and then he sent me, he called me up, and he said, I'm sending you all this information on this guy, John Bazaha, and he said, um, see what you think, you know, and of course I checked it out, and I called him back, and I said, you know, I think we may be onto a winner with John, and uh, he said, well, I'm going to bring him back a couple more times, and, um, you know, and uh, that's how John Bazaar became uh, the baby's new lead singer. And fortunately, he plays bass too, so <laughs> we didn't have to look for a bass player. So, so you got back together. Now, how did the public, when you started doing live shows, how did the public uh, react? Were they, were they excited? Because especially people have seen you before and there was no John. How did that work? Yeah, well, that was that was kind of tough to begin with because you know uh, pure pure John Waite fans were saying, well, you know, no John Waite, no babies, really, you know, and so we were kind of fighting that um, at the very beginning, and you know, I, I can understand that they feel because you know if I had a favorite group and the singer left and another one took his place and, uh, you know, so I, I get it and I understand that, but um, with the new lineup and a second guitar player and um, in Joey Sykes and, and a keyboard player and John playing bass and singing and the two lovely babettes, two, two ladies, um, now we had a seven piece band and, but, um, we were performing the songs live on stage exactly the way they sound on the record. And um, so it was kind of mixed emotions from the fans, you know. Um, that, like I say, some would say, well, you know, um, John Waite's not in it, so I'm really not interested. And, but then there was, you know, others that were curious. And once they came to see us play, then, um, they realized that, uh, you know, especially with the, the, the catalog of songs that we accumulated through the years. Um, so I remember the very first gig of the new lineup. It was at the Canyon Club in, out in Calabasas, California. And um, it, it was, that was quite a night because that was, a, you know, um, it was, um, well, it was the first gig with the new lineup, and you know, and years since Tony and I had actually played baby songs live on stage um, together. And but as soon as we walked out, and as soon as we hit that first song, it, it felt like I was home again. You know. Um, well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool, though. Now, now, are you guys? I saw you had some dates in September. You have a date coming up in December. Uh, they're all California based. Do you plan to to go on tour more and play some more dates in two thousand twenty? Yes, yes, yeah. We're kind of winding it down for this year now. Um, we there's one just after Christmas, and then, but things are looking good for twenty twenty. Um, um, 
yeah, I'm kind of excited about the new year. I actually can't wait to get to it now. And, um, yeah, and uh, so, you know, we're adding dates as we, as, you know, as time goes by. I know there's a, uh, a, a cruise that we're going on, but that's not until April. One of those sort of rock and roll cruises, you know, out of Miami, I think it is, to, um, I think, Barbados. There are other bands on there, you know, and, but there's other other shows in between. So yeah, we, you know, uh, we like playing California, but we also like going on the road. And you know, we've done quite quite a bit of uh, road work this past year, but it's always nice to have more work lined up. Exactly. Well, you know what? Uh, hopefully, you'll get to Philadelphia in a new year. And I want to thank you for taking time to talk to me. I mean, I'm a big Babies fan, and uh, and it's great that you know. The new line, you have a new lineup, so you keep the sound alive, and it's more people that can find your sound and can see alive because it's so important. You know, you can hear an album, you know, but when you get to see it, even if it's a, if it's some of the original members, it's still it's that band. So I want to thank you, uh, Wally, and people go to uh, thebabiesofficial.com, thebabiesofficial.com, and it's B A B Y S. Babies at the, the babiesofficial.com. It has bios and everybody. It has uh, another tour dates. So check that out. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 500, oh, 755 episodes. I'm sorry, 755 episodes. You can email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. Also follow me on Twitter at coopertalk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.